Welcome to American Experiments podcast. I'm Katrin Wigfall, an education policy fellow with American Experiment, and today I'm joined by Kendall and Sheila Qualls, friends of American Experiment and leaders of Take Charge Minnesota. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having us. I'm so excited to have the two of you, especially as we wrap up National School Choice Week. It's an annual opportunity to celebrate all of the different uh, effective K-12 education options available to families. There have been celebrations across the country. Uh, There have been some even here in Minnesota. But as we wrap up the week, I want to talk about your work at Take Charge and your focus on education and how Minnesota needs to do more when it comes to school choice and providing families with effective options that meet students' needs. Talk about just Take Charge, your mission, and uh, the role that uh, education plays in that mission. I'll just start out by just, you know, um, talking about what Take Charge is, and we promote the idea that the promise of America works regardless of your uh, race or social station in life. And uh, we focus on returning the black family to the two-parent black family, and we focus on family, faith, and education. And education is a huge piece of that um, because you can't that, – that is the great equalizer, and we're never going to be able to um, – you know, get these kids out of these situations and change their thinking without education. Yeah. Well, let me just reinforce that. So um, I think a lot of people are familiar with my background, having um, lived in the broken family, lived in poverty, literally poverty um, in the slums of Harlem, New York, in the late 60s. And then later with my, fa- my father in a trailer park in Oklahoma, it was education the basics of education that gave me the opportunity to go into corporate America, to to rise and perform and do well there, to also serve in the military, and all these different things that I've done, um, because I had the basics of an education and and uh, not even in the best of situations. Unfortunately, today's children are not even getting what I had mm. in those worst situations in that environment, in the trailer of Oklahoma and then the slums of New York. They're not even getting that. I believe yours. We were talking earlier. Where eight percent of kids, of black kids in many in Minneapolis public schools, are reading at grade level. Eight percent. Or and can't do or can do math at grade level. Eight okay. percent. Yeah, can yes. do math at grade it's level. Uh, it's not much better for reading. Fifteen point eight percent. So these are thousands of students being thousands. left behind. And it's been that way for a decade mm. or more. So. Um, it's it's a travesty was what's happening and as americans we just don't sit and complain we're problem solvers and this is why school choice options are so critical for us absolutely and i think it's important when we talk about school choice to talk about the uh opposition to school choice so Opponents will say, well, we have school choice in Minnesota. We have open enrollment, which, by the way, can still be strengthened. We have charter schools. Talk about what true school choice should reflect in the state so that it can accomplish the goals that you're talking about and, and working on at Take Charge. Yeah. You know, I'll kind of start it off sure. and then you can sort of wrap okay. it up. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, you know, that every parent should have a right to decide where their child goes to school. And if they feel like their school in their neighborhood is not working right or is not working well for their kid, I think they should have an option to move that child to another school. And the the dollars, the tax dollars should follow the child. Um, I think parents right now feel powerless 
um, you know, like they have no control over what happens to their kids. I talked to many, many, many parents, and um, it's just amazed. I'm amazed at how um, powerless they feel and how they're they, they don't know what to do about it. And so I think school choice is just a great opportunity, would be a great opportunity in Minnesota to, um, you know, give these parents another choice or another chance for their kids. Well, let me give you an analogy, Katrin, as it, re- it relates to people say that we have school choice today. It's like telling someone um, here, you can have a four Pinto, but uh, no, I don't want to, I don't want a red four Pinto. I'll go, okay, we, we have, we have your, cho- you have a choice. You can get a blue port four Pinto. Well, I don't want a Ford Pinto at all. Well, look, come here. Let's look over here. We have a Ford Pinto with automatic windows. You have this, they're giving you the same thing, but in different colors. Mm. That's not choice. That's keeping people within the system and not giving them absolute choice of what they can have as far as the myriad of different options um, from cars that they want, want to have. Sure. That fits for their family. That's a great analogy. I just want to say you did have a red Ford Pinto. <laughs> I'm sorry for all of you that had four pintos. <laughs> but to Sheila's point, this access, if it's limited by financial barriers, that is not true choice for a family. We know that a good education should not just be for the wealthy. And so, yes, charter schools, yes, open enrollment is part of school choice. But until we have what American Experiment and Take Charge is fighting for, real school choice that removes these financial barriers so that every family can have the opportunity to access the learning environment, they don't have to act on it, right? If you like your public school, you can keep your public school. We know that wasn't true in other areas, but it is true in education. And so we really need to work to make sure that there aren't these barriers in place because education to be the great equalizer has to be available to all. So talk a little bit more about the families Take Charge interacts with and and what you're hearing from them on education and and school choice. Are they supportive? Uh, Do they want it? What, What are you hearing? Well, here's something that we've done. So over the last two years, we've polled black American families across the country, two years, and these are high-grade polling. And in every poll, majority of black Americans, the vast majority of black Americans have said that the public schools are not teaching their children to be successful in in their future, not not at uh, reading levels, math levels, like we just talked about, and they want school choice. Um, 76% 76% of, of the people that um, are in these polls self-identified as Democrats. So this is not a political issue. This is a universal issue of right and wrong options for parents. And at the end of the day, you know, to have someone graduate from high school that can't read and function in society is putting them in a position of a you know, doomed failure a road that we know that often leads to criminal activity or something where they live below their themselves because they're incapable of functioning in the, in our society today. And not only is that on an individual level concerning, but what that means for our state as a whole, right. uh, our economy, our workforce. I, I think of my, my son's future colleagues and friends, right. and you want every individual to be set up for success because of what that means then when you work together as, as a collective group to move Minnesota forward. So the, you know, the, the ramifications are, are huge. And I mean, we've, I feel like we've continued to wave this red flag and it really comes down to 
the support among constituents, among different communities, putting pressure on state leaders to say, no, we want this and we want it now. Mm-hmm. I, I recently wrote on American Experiment's website about the Republican and Democrat governors who officially proclaimed school choice this week in their respective states. Guess who was absent from that list? Minnesota's Governor Tim Walz. And mm. you have to wonder, with all of this support among Minnesotans, who's blocking the door from making this a reality? You know, I think, you know, the answer to that, the easy, simple answer to that is teachers unions. Um, they feel like if we have school choice, that's going to somehow diminish the public schools. And actually, I think school choice would be good because it would then force competition which would force them to improve. And I don't think this is, you know, just a, you know, you said it's a problem in our state. It's a problem, you know, all across the country. Um, what are what are these kids going to do? You know, what's going to happen when they're full adults and then they're sort of deployed in society and they've been trained to be disruptors and they've been trained to, you know, um, disrupt the system? Um, you know, what is that going to mean for all of us? Like you said, they're going to be our neighbors, um, the grocery store checkout guy, our doctors, our attorneys, people our kids are going to marry. It's mm. going. This is going to affect all of us. Well, I think there's one thing you said, Catherine, that uh, we've been waving this red flag. I mean, a, like, a lot of us have been waving this red, uh, red flag for so long, our arms are tired. Mm. I mean, with these issues, these stats that we're talking about as poor performances have been happening for a decade or more now. And to the point where, you know, our politicians are not listening. So we have we have parents that are taking actions in our own hand. We're looking at starting a um, a small private school in, in certain areas in the communities um, to help rescue some of these children um, across not our state, not just in the metro. I, and I think that's important that you're stepping in and, and filling that need because we're seeing support for school choice rise. And as support rises, demand rises. Yeah. And so there's a real need to make sure that there are alternative learning environments. And we have so much data to show the positive effects of school choice. And I know all three of us share that data constantly. We feel like a broken record. But I have also been thinking through another, maybe even more persuasive argument, and that's the fact that it's a personal decision. This is about giving families access to the learning environment that aligns with their principles and beliefs. How one family defines a good education can vary from how another family defines a good education. And we have seen that a top-down system can't define that for each family in the way that they're they're looking for. So I think it's so important that we have these other learning models grow and and sprout up across the state. So thank you for your work in that space. I look forward to learning more about that. Yes, we look forward to it. Yeah, we're excited. Um, hopefully our plan is um, to maybe kick off in the fall, is yes. what we're thinking. Yep. Um, and and it's, again, it's just about giving families an option. You know, we talk to so many people who are not happy, who are not satisfied, with their schools and so we feel like these people should have an option they should have another choice i always find it find it fascinating um you think about it it's what we accomplished as a nation when all we had was a chalkboard and a piece of chalk Mm -hmm. all the way up to the 70s and 80s and what we accomplished as a nation prior to the tablets the school and the department of education in 1976 you know, it wasn't like we, we were hobbling along <laughs> as this wretched little country because we didn't have, you know, a Department of Education in, in the teachers' union. Hmm. 
And I think families are wanting to hearken back to that. I, you know, we, we talked before we started recording about the concept of micro schools and how that's been really expanding across the country and just the various forms that can take the kind of playing off that one room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. That, you know, my grandma taught in a one room schoolhouse. Mm-hmm. She's 96 years old right now. I think she would be shocked to know that this type of education is on the rise again. But, you know, maybe she shouldn't be shocked because it worked. It, we know that students learned and they were able to then teach younger students and really show mastery of of math and reading because they had to teach it to another student. So I think there's, you know, we, we never want to dwell too much on the past to have that hinder our future. But if there are lessons that we can learn from that and build off to make the future better, I think we absolutely should do that. The current status quo is not mm. what it, you know, yes. not working. <laughs> what? We, we are literally dumbing our kids down. What's that stat you gave me the other day about IQs? Oh, yeah, the IQ. <laughs> The IQ of the average college grad is uh, diminished uh, 15 points from from the cl- class of 1939. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we are literally dumbing down our kids. Mm. You know, you, here's the other thing. And I would, people always talk about, well, you want to go back to the 50s or you want to go back to yesteryear. Those days are gone. This is not that. What we're talking about is like a coach taking over a legacy losing team, a losing franchise, and coming back in and getting back to the basics of the game. This is what we're talking about. It's not going back in history. It's getting back to the basics of what we know is for, uh, that makes us successful. And we can do that without tons of money. Oh, absolutely. Right? absolutely. I mean, absolutely. we always talk about <laughs> yeah. uh, education problems are because of funding woes. Yeah. And, you know, just to put it in perspective, Minneapolis School District spends over $20,000 a student. And we're still getting the statistics that we mentioned earlier. 8% of black students can do math at grade level 15.8 can read at grade level we haven't seen much change there so you know it's it's not a dollar issue obviously mm. how you spend those dollars matters far more than how much you actually get to spend but i think it's important to talk about the the family role in a child's education too i when i taught we we looked at it as a triangle you have the parent you have the student, you have the teacher, that partnership is really key. And I know Take Charge focuses a lot on, on the fam- the role of families, family mm-hmm. involvement in education. So talk a little bit about how you message that uh, to your supporters and to the communities you work with. Yeah, so it, it is literally a history lesson of what we tried to provide uh, the black community because a lot of people don't know the statistics. They don't, they don't know the data. They, they see and they feel that something's different. It's not like it used to be. But literally, in my lifetime, we've gone from 80% two-parent families to 80% fatherless homes. And in those two-parent families, there's a recent book that was just published, uh, The Two-Parent Privilege. It's basically this book says we, we, we stop getting married and we, and we stop advancing a bit literally as a culture. Same thing has happened in the black community. And even with that, you still have single moms that care about getting a good education for their children so their 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 children can have a different life than themselves. Hmm. There is no service for that. There is no outlet for that. They're not getting it in the public schools and there needs to be alternatives even for that mom. Hmm. And it, and it's crazy that um, we're in a position where we, we're not providing that as a society, as a, as, a, as a community. And again, Americans find solutions. And again, that's what one of the things that we're going to be doing. We're going to be offering those solutions in the communities as we come up, coming up. And what our schools, we've already you know, designated the name for them. They're going to be called Washington Academy. And they're named after our first president. While our public schools are diminishing our founding fathers, we're leaning into that. 
It's named after President George Washington and also Booker T. Washington. Um, so th there's a lot, a lot of um, education and, and reasoning behind both of those. And uh, we're just excited to um, uh, get those launched out in the fall. I love that. Sounds very intentional, very meaningful, and and that's how you know any foundation of education should start. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, just going back to the the two parent family thing. You know, the data shows that the best place for a child is within a within a two parent family. Those kids do better in school. Um, you know, we talk about this these huge disparities, and it really has nothing to do with um, you know racism. It has to do with you know family structure. Right. The, the, the biggest disparities, the biggest driver of disparities is the fatherless home issue, not the skin color issue. And so those are the things that we're trying to reestablish and get in, the, in our community to, un to understand, even though the megaphone of the culture and media says systemic racism, white privilege. No, it's not that. It's two parent privilege. And even if you're doing it on your own, you can be the first to cut the chain or break the chain of cycle. And we have people, volunteers in our, in our, in our organization that take charge that came from broken families that are you know, reestablished. They're, they're starting a new cycle, a new generation of normative families again. And that's what we're trying to, trying to accomplish. So we know that we need solutions uh, for families seeking alternatives to public schools and the traditional public school setting. We know families want those alternatives. They're coming to us, coming to you, asking for those alternatives. They're starting schools on their own. They're just taking the initiative. But what about families who are in a traditional public school and are happy with their local school and, and think, okay, well, maybe there's some problems happening in the neighborhood school district down the road, but my child's local school is, is okay. Sheila, you've done a lot of work to help families maybe pause and get more involved with their child's education to make sure that some troublesome things happening down the road aren't in their child's personal classroom. So talk a little bit about that work and, and what you've been exposed to families who may think that you know, their school is, is okay and, and safe from concerning things that are popping up across the state. Yeah, that was probably one of the biggest things that I heard as I was doing research for the podcast, Trapped Chaos in the Classroom, is, oh, that's not happening in my kid's school. Um, and what people don't realize is it is happening in your kid's school. It's happening in schools all over the state because your kid's school, the people in your kid's school, they're getting their direction from Education Minnesota. They're getting their direction from the teachers union. So to think that this isn't happening in your school or in your community, um, I would just I would just really encourage parents to go in and check it out. You know, and another thing too, we were talking about earlier. People are they think if their kids are in private schools that it there is okay. Well, I've got my kid in a private school. Well, the private schools and many of the private schools, not all of them, they are doing the same things that they're doing in the public schools. They're teaching the social emotional learning. So you get your kid, you know, you try to take your child out of you know public school, put them in a private school. I spoke with a mom who said, I am now paying for what I didn't want my kid to learn. I'm now paying somebody money, um, and that's why I moved my kid out of public school because I didn't want him to learn that. So, you know, it is happening all over. It's happening in large schools, small schools, um, you know, places that you would never even imagine. Like I said, little teeny tiny towns of 1,000 people or 2,000 people, it's all over. And I would highly encourage parents to get involved, but you have to know what you're looking for. You know, we think social, emotional learning. Oh, that sounds so good. I want my child to be socially, you know, be able to get along with their peers. I want them to be able to control their emotions. Oh, that sounds so good. But social, emotional learning is not what parents think it is. And when you hear that phrase, that should sort of 
put your radar up. Hmm. Well, there's one thing I want to add to this, and what what, what is this? What does this look like, even for, for you know, those parents that they, their kids are in great schools and all that? There was a survey done, 41,000 Americans a few years back, and they basically gave these Americans the um, this standard citizenship test for, for citizens coming to the United States, legal citizens, right? And if they were 45 years and younger, only 19% could pass the test. 19%. Wow. They're not t- t- teaching civics. They're not teaching all, the, all these things. If you were 60 and older, 74% passed it hmm. because they didn't get the indoctrination. They still remember those basic issues that passed the citizenship test where these younger generations, not that they're, 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 they lack the same intelligence. as a, They were never taught this information. Hmm. And so there's, the, so it's not just the basics of reading and everything else. The value of knowing the the, the, the privilege of being an American citizen. This is the, the we have the generation of people that have the least appreciation and more contempt for their country in the history of our nation because of what they're learning in school. And, and most parents get their information about the school system from the school system. Um, and so when you're getting your information about that system, th- those people aren't going to tell you, oh, you know, our kids are, they have, they're doing poorly on standardized tests. Um, we're having a lot of violence in our classroom. They're not going to tell you that information. They're going to paint a rosy picture. So parents think, uh, remember that article you recently read? You're my data guy. And it was um, like um, that ha- there was a large percentage of parents that think that their kids are learning what they need to learn in school. Right. But I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> it's out there. No, but yes, there, there's this almost as if parents have blinders on to what's going on. And they say, oh, yeah, my child must be learning how to read and, and do math. I drop them off at school every day. And, you know, I say if there's a silver lining to COVID, it, it's that it really awakened parents to what students are and aren't learning in classrooms. And for a lot of parents, they're never going back to sleep. They are mm-hmm. they are involved. And I think that parent-teacher partnership is so key because a lot of this really does come down to the individual teacher, the supplemental materials that they're using. Right. Uh, I know, Kendall, when uh, you've when you talk on the on the topic, you talk about supplemental materials that uh, alternatives that teachers can use. Hillsdale has a curriculum, mm-hmm. uh, 1776 Unites, PragerU, all of these resources that teachers can bring into the classroom to make sure that students are learning all that they need to, and from multiple perspectives and not this single limited lens that tells students to use uh, an immutable characteristic to define themselves in society. So. You know, to all of the public school teachers who are trying to raise students to be informed and engaged members of society, we applaud you because with the teachers union pulling the strings and and teacher prep programs, you know, it goes all the way back to how teachers are being trained to teach. It's just it it can be very disheartening to to think about what this means for our next generation of leaders. Absolutely. A lot of parents also think of school as it was when they were there because public schools have been a trusted institution in our country for, you know, 
decades and decades. So they're thinking, well, this is the, this, this is school like it was when I was there, mm. but it's nothing like that. They have absolutely no idea. I think that's a great point too, because we're seeing families across the country make decisions for their children that are different than the education learning environment that they were in. The National School Choice Awareness Foundation did a survey recently, and the majority of parents that they pulled across the country said, well, no, my child actually isn't in the same school setting that I was growing up. And you can see, okay, public school then versus now, it's definitely, there's definitely been a shift. Parents are recognizing it and saying, well, it worked for me, but given the focus today, my child deserves something better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you, Kendall. Thank you, Sheila, for the work that you're doing in this space. I can't say how important Take Charge's mission is, not only to the communities that you work with, but to the state as a whole. We at American Experiment are so pleased to partner with you and, and work on these important topics. And I look forward to learning more about your uh, future work. So thanks for joining me today. Thanks thank to you. our viewers and listeners. And we'll see you next time on American Experiments podcast.